We're glad to see all of you. I see several new faces, and we're glad you're here. I love starting Sunday morning out with all of you. To our guests, my name is Brian. I referenced this, this uh, worship guide here. We're going to go into the sermon talking about the Ten Commandments. There are these notes on the back for our guests that you can outline and use your pen. Actually, this is what I really want you. I'm going to add a lot of scripture that's not on here today that you might want to write down and some points to write down that help you dive into this a little deeper this week. Uh, to our guests also this connect card is really important like we were talking about earlier if you would fill that out we would love to reach out to you about Mondays when we reach out and just say hi and see if there's anything we can answer especially if you're looking for a church home you, you can see a beautiful group of people but you can't see a lot about the church in itself so we would love to reach out to you and see if we can help you you can drop that off at either one of these boxes going out the door there's one up there too or there's a welcome center we always love to share a gift with you but we're really glad you're hanging out with us today Whew, announcements it's like I'm already tired so we are in a series called Laws and Life. Laws and Life. We're going through the Ten Commandments. We're, we're, we're going deep into each commandment. A lot of them don't have very many words, but the, the meaning's so deep. We're not only looking at them in the Old Testament where they're originally written, we're, writ we're looking at them from the New Testament also. So just a little recap. We've already covered the first four. The first four, commandments one through four, are, are, they're all about our relationship with God. And so that's what the first four commandments are. The last six is about our relationship with people. And Jesus beautifully summarized this when somebody is testing him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, he, he, he combined, he showed that split in there and he said, this is it, it's two parts. Love God with your whole heart, strength, mind. That's one through four. And they said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's five through 10. And so we're in the sixth one today. We're in the sixth commandment. If you wanna turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter five, and there's, we're gonna be about verse 17 today, and we're gonna jump into the sixth commandment. And I didn't do a good job of welcoming those who are online. We still have a strong presence of those of you who are online. I know also Pete and Sue, if you're watching us today, we're glad you're joining us also, but our online folks, we're glad you're part of the family also. But before we jump into Deuteronomy 5, I wanna share, while you're turning there, it's the fifth book in your Bible, I wanna share a picture with you. Aiden, would you show us a picture and see if they can guess today? So this picture, does anybody know? It's, it's, it's hard. This is a stumper. But do you know where this is at? If you're in first service, don't say anything. Do you know where this is? You see all these people gathered around? There's, a, there's, there's an idea there's a lot of water there. Does anybody want to guess? It's not Kansas. Online, you can like, on Facebook Live, you can like throw ideas out there too. Have you ever heard of Mallory Square? Does that ring a bell? Mallory Square and Pier. That's where this place is, Mallory Square and Pier. Seriously, nobody? This is Mallory Square and Pier in Key West. So what's really cool about this, it's the farther, farthest western edge of the Keys. And all the tourists who are all on the, all the islands in the Keys, they come from all over the world. They're there in huge numbers right now. They always go down to Key West, that farthest western point, the pier at Mallory Square, and they watch the sunset. My wife and I were down there and it was amazing how many people gather for the sunsets. Now, I will tell you, I'm a little biased. I've seen them and I think the Kansas Flint Hills sunsets are still, but I'm biased. But they were beautiful. 
But what this person talks about, you'll see this happen spontaneously, is when the last rays are cutting up and the sun, the, the ball is down below the water, the ocean horizon line, is that it's not uncommon they will burst into applause. Isn't that cool? They'll burst into applause. And so I have this question. Why do you think they're applauding? Why do you think they're applauding? I mean, it's worth applauding, but why? And, and this bigger question kind of hit me when I looked at this picture, and I thought, I wonder who they're applauding. Who are they applauding? And the reason why I say that, let me share with you a scripture verse, Romans 1.20. This scripture verse reads, Forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for knowing God. I just saw this verse. When they see that sun disappearing, they see everything, they, they actually see the image of God in nature. They see his power and his nature right in nature. But what kind of blew me away is I thought of that. I thought, well, I don't know how many of them are actually thinking of seeing the image of God in that beautiful setting. But what I wondered was, actually, the greatest expression of the image of God is much closer than what they're looking at. See, they're looking at a ball of fire that's probably 1,000, 2,000 miles away, cresting over there. They're looking way out there and seeing God. The actuality is the image of God is so much closer to them. Let me share with you Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Look at your neighbor right next to you. Go ahead. Look at your neighbor right next to you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are seeing the image of God that is so much more beautiful and amazing and complex than a sun ball going down below a horizon. Seriously, you are seeing the image of God right next to you. All those people gathered in a pier, packed in there, the image of God was right there. I don't understand if I just said that person next to you is the image of God, why are you not applauding? <laughs> wow, look at that. That's Let's look together at the sixth commandment. Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 17. Again, we are in the commandments talking about how we relate to others. Simple one, very short, four words. You must not murder. You must not murder. In the original Hebrew, like you read this in the original Hebrew, there's only two words, no murder. They made it so simple. We always have to add words in our English language. No murder. Many of us, when we learn the Ten Commandments, we don't think of you must not murder. We think of the King James Version. We talk about this. Thou shall not kill. That's probably what pops in our mind. But let me bring that up because that word kill is actually, did you know in the Hebrew language there's like eight words for kill? And the most common one is about killing in general. Killing is a very broad term. It adds everything into it. It's like a smorgasbord of killing. Killing includes things like war 
And killing includes things like capital punishment. But that's not the word in Hebrew it's using here. The, the Hebrew word is actually rasah, which means in the English translation, the closest word is actually murder. So let's look at our first sermon note together and let's explain this one. What is murder? To murder is to take an innocent life. There's all kinds of killing, but murder is very specific. It is to accidentally or intentionally take an innocent life. The law of God prohibits taking the life of an innocent person. There's so many faces. I think a lot of times when you and I think of murder, we think of just the first, the first thought, and that's homicide. But let me, let me give you a list here. These are the many faces of murder. So we can kind of see how big this category actually is. The many faces of murder starts with homicide. That's what we would most think of, taking the life of somebody intentionally. The second one is manslaughter. Manslaughter is where we don't intentionally but accidentally take the life of the other. You saw this in the Old Testament when you swing an ax and the ax head comes off and kills somebody. It's still wrong to take that life, but it's accident. Today's words, we would say a DUI. I go out and drive drunk and I, innocent, and I run into somebody and kill them. It wasn't intentional, it was accidental, but it's still it was still on me. The third is suicide. Suicide is self-murder. It's to take my own life. The fourth act of murder is abortion, taking the life of the unborn. I see a lot of argument for, you know, a lot of physical physics. To me, the greatest argument against abortion is in Psalm 139. Where the psalmist writes, God, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you knew me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. The next one, the many faces of murder, is terrorism. This one you won't find so much in the Old Testament, but it's new to us. It's where we take mass extermination of people fueled by hate. The next one's genocide. Genocide is where we focus on murdering a specific people group. Most people would reference back to World War II and the Jewish, uh, the, the Holocaust in itself. Do you know there has been multiple genocides since that event, including two Christian tribes going after each other? The next one is, and the last one is euthanasia. Euthanasia is, is selective termination of life, especially in a chronically ill or the suffering. It's for somebody suffering so bad that we end their life prematurely. When you look at that list, by God's law, these are all murder. It is all innocent life. And it's prohibited strictly by God in the law that he's given us. Now, what's interesting when we talk about murder is it's easy to say that death is really commonplace in our culture. There's an article by the American Psychological Association that says the average child, by the time they finish elementary school, will have watched 8,000 televised murders, 100,000 acts plus of on-screen violence. It's so common. Death and murder is so common. But what's interesting in our culture, uh, and it's unique to every culture, every, every generation, but look at our second sermon note together. Murder has become entertainment in our culture. And let me explain what this means a little bit. It's celebrated in movies. You know, one of the biggest box office uh, 
money getters is horror movies and the more creative they can get with murder and the more grotesque they can get with murder it's a, it's a great money maker but it's entertainment gaming industry some of the best games that, that actually bring in cash some of the most used games are the ones where you murder just on a whim the third those are fake but what's interesting today is on YouTube and social media in news channels, I can watch an actual murder live. I mean, everybody's got phones, everybody's got cameras, everything's recorded. You can actually watch somebody's life being taken. You know, it warns you. Caution, warning, discretionary, grotesque, you know, whatever, content follows. And yet we still click it. And yeah, it's like, and they know you're going to click it. And so murder has become quite an entertainment industry. But what's interesting is when we study all this, all this impact of seeing so many murders and so much death in our life, is reading all these different psychological studies, it's like a lot of them have been trying to prove for decades about is there a link to violent behavior and watching this stuff? Is there a link to watching murder and being gaming in it and all that's a lot of studies in gaming. And what's interesting is they haven't been able to give you like ironclad evidence. There has been mass murderers who have been fueled by this, but that's, the evidence doesn't show that, that, that it's clear that being absorbed in all this makes me go out and kill. But every study does prove this. And that is when we're so inundated by murder and death, it does cause us to dehumanize people and to be desensitized to death or desensitized to life. Those studies are all clear. That when you're bombarded this much by murder and death, it will cause you to see humans differently. How many days do we watch death on all the news networks and then we just cruise through life? But we get really desensitized too. We get desensitized by death, but we get desensitized about life. This is an important link to make, so, so tune in with me on this one. When we dehumanize and we desensitize, we reduce the image of God in somebody. If we all carry the image of God and we're dehumanizing because of all the death we see and murder that we see and we're desensitized, we actually decrease the image of God. So many of us, remember uh, about Three weeks ago, I showed you a, a survey in the America and the UK about which are the most important commandments. And everybody in America and UK, like 96, 98% believe that murder is still wrong. It was the top commandment that still believed. Now, when I gave you that whole list, I'm not sure that they were answering that question. If you ask, ask that same question, do you believe murder is wrong with this whole list of what murder is? I'm not sure that number would have been as high. But, but I think most people correlate with this because that's one thing I haven't done. I haven't murdered somebody. Or have we? I'm going to jump over to the New Testament again, Matthew chapter 5. These are the very words of Jesus. Starting in verse 17, Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, I didn't come to abolish the Ten Commandments or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. 
I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, Jesus says, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Jesus is saying, even if you're angry with someone, you have committed murder in your heart. We went from nobody in this room, hardly probably under this commandment, to everybody in this room in the span of 30 seconds. And people wash this one out. Why would Jesus say that? Being angry is not murder. Let's go deep and let's explore what he's talking about. But before we get that, let me explain in this verse, there's two things that are important to know. First, Jesus' authority. So Jesus says two things. I came to do this and I came not to do this. I came not to abolish the Ten Commandments. I didn't come here to abolish the law. He says I came to fulfill it. Jesus' purpose was to establish God's word firmly, to embody it. We see God's word in him and fully accomplish what God has been saying all through the Old Testament he would do through Jesus. If you write down Romans 10, 4 as a reference, a good reference here to check on this week. It says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. We look at these laws, the laws make us right with God, and when we make mistakes, there's law, ceremonial law, that how we put ourselves to the Old Testament right with God again, how we do atonement. Jesus says, my life has now made you right with God. He's fulfilled the law. Everything that you had to live by, all these ceremonies and everything, says now my death on the cross, my resurrection, my defeat of death, I fulfill this law. The holy standard of the law would be perfectly held by, upheld by Jesus. The strict requirements of all the observances and everything would be held so tightly by Jesus when he was on earth. And the final, the ceremonial observances, the, the way we sacrifice, the way we atone, make ourselves right with God, he fully satisfies that we don't have to do that anymore. This guy knows the law. He knows God's purpose, and he's fulfilling it. We're not under the Mosaic law as much to say today we're not under the Ten Commandments. We're under a bigger umbrella, and that's the law of Christ. The Ten Commandments are still critically important, but Jesus changed everything. Galatians 6.2, if you write this one down, Galatians 6.2, it says, share each other's burdens and in this way we obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. Sounds like love your neighbor, the whole six commandments towards the end. This is the law of Christ. So I just go over all that to say the guy who's saying, I didn't come to abolish the law but fulfill it, now we understand why. And we have his authority when he says what he says next. And look at your third sermon note with me. Jesus expanded the definition of murder in the scripture. Jesus says, even if you're angry with somebody, you've broken the sixth commandment. Now how does anger equate with murder? Two things that Jesus understands really well is first thing that anger is a foothold towards murder. Anger is where it always starts. There are many stories in the Bible of murder. Many stories in the Bible of murder. 
And they're all connected with, you go and look at the root, they're all connected with this emotion of anger. Moses killed an Egyptian out of rage. Abimelech killed 70 people of a royal family in anger because they threatened his royal ambitions. Joab stabbed Abner in anger over the death of his brother. David, King David had Uriah the Hittite killed out of anger. He tried to get him to sleep with his wife because David already had slept with her and he was gonna hide the pregnancy and when, you, when Uriah wouldn't do that, he got angry and he put him on the front lines and had him killed in battle. Herod the Great, Herod the Evil, murdered little boys in Bethlehem when he heard there was a Messiah and killed all the boys less than two years old out of anger that somebody would take his kingship. Jesus knows anger gives the foothold to murder and taking life. But here's the other important part is anger destroys the image of God. Anger destroys the image of God. Anger dehumanizes and it desensitizes and it diminishes the image of God in others. We all have the image of God. That's why I read Genesis 1.27. We are all created in the image of God male and female. Anger diminishes, dehumanizes, and desensitizes the image of God in us. And when we're angry, the image of God in us is diminished. And when we're angry, not only is the image in somebody else diminished, in ourselves diminished, you start taking life. So here's an important note for us to understand when it comes to issues of life. It's our fourth sermon note together. Only God has authority over life. Only God has the authority over life. And there's a word too. There's three ways that God has authority over life. The first is creating it. God created humanity. Only God has the authority to create humanity. Job 33.4, if you write that one down right there, Job 33.4, for the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Ladies and gentlemen, our dads and moms were part of the creative process, but only God gives life. It is a miracle every time. Not only does God have the authority over life to create humanity, he has the authority to redeem humanity. If we understand in the world and we look through the Bible, when sin came in the world, so did death. Death did not exist before sin, but sin is, death is a penalty for sin. It's spiritual death with God and it provided spiritual mortality, or sorry, mortality death. Physically we would die. Sin caused those two things. Sin stole life from us. Sin brought death. But write down Psalm 130. Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. You know, there is no disqualifier. Every kind of sin. God redeemed us. Through his son on a cross, Jesus' death paid the price for all the sin that gave us death. And because Jesus rose again, for those who believe, we can defeat death, and it's not the final answer. Not only does God have authority to create humanity and redeem humanity, the third thing is only God has authority to restore humanity. 
Only God can take our sin and broken lives and restore us to a full life, an enriched life. Write down John 10.10. John 10.10 right here. The thief, this one sounds familiar to a lot of us. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. And not only life, but they have it to the full. Only God can restore. And he does that through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Only God has this authority. And I know it's probably fair in any type of Christian audience that we're going to have people here that have actually taken a life physically. And I want to speak to that for just a moment. We have soldiers engaged in the act of war. And at times, war can take innocent life. Wasn't intended. But our actions actually can take life. There may be soldiers here that have experienced that, what it's like to take life. We have people here that have contemplated suicide and got so close trying to take their life. And it's probably fair looking at numbers in our nation today that it's probably somebody who's terminated a pregnancy here. This message is very important to hear that the God who created humanity can redeem even that in your life and he can restore you to the full. And you can't quit living in that. If you find that you've been in one of those situations and you have not been restored or feel like you're redeemed, I'd encourage you to come up after the service or write on this connect card your name and a way we can contact you and walk with you and help you see the God who removed every sin from Israel can remove every sin out of our life. Redeem us through Christ. Restore us to a full life. And your church is here for you to walk through that part of life with you. Okay, that's the heavy part. You ready to kick it up a little bit? So our theme in this series is, is the Ten Commandments isn't about a bunch of don'ts. It's really about a bunch of do's. It's about freedom, not restriction. It's when we don't obey these is when we get restriction and our lives crumble. But God knew if we live these as do's, we have freedom to live the life that he wants us to. So look at our, our, our fifth sermon note together. We keep the sixth commandment by giving life. So don't think we keep the sixth commandment by taking life. Let's be proactive. We keep the sixth commandment by giving life. Every day, each one of us has opportunity to give life to others. That power and that nature of God that's in us came from the very God who gave us life when we didn't deserve it. So let me take you to a familiar story, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. This one kind of, I think, will help us see us a little bit. This is a parable of the Good Samaritan, but, and so many of us know this parable, but it's interesting how it starts out in verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? What does the Ten Commandments say? How do you read it? And the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said. Do this and you'll live. 
But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Which is these six commandments we're hanging in. Who's my neighbor that if I'm supposed to live this way, who's my neighbor? So I'm not going to show you this part of scripture, I'm just going to tell you. Then, then Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. There's a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he's attacked by bandits. He's stripped naked and beaten within an inch of death, laying in a ditch along the side of the road. Along comes a priest who sees the man and crosses to the other side of the road to avoid him and walks on by. And then he says there's another man who comes who's a temple assistant, somebody who spends their life in the worshiping house of God. He comes along the road. He sees the guy, does the same thing. He goes to the other side of the road and he walks on by. Then Jesus says there's this third man. He's a despised Samaritan, which means that these people are the lowest class around in our culture. He says he comes along. He stoops down. He rubs olive oil on his wounds and dresses his wounds. He lifts him up. He puts him on his donkey. He takes his donkey to the nearest village, to the nearest inn. And he takes him in there and he pays the innkeeper to take care of this guy and keep going. He's, he's caring for him there, but he, he pays for them to continue to care for him. And he tells the innkeeper, if this takes a bunch more days and costs a lot more, I will make it good to you when I come back and pay that difference. Here's this man in this story hanging on for life. And the religious people chose to do nothing. And I bring up this point, is that church, we don't have this option to do nothing when it comes to giving life. So many times, with all the turmoil going on in our world, we will say, I'm not that, but I'm not called to take care of that, so I try to create this third space where I can do nothing, and that does not exist for those of us who care the image of God. To do nothing in a situation where I can give life is to take life. That's why Jesus is telling a story. To choose to do nothing is to take away life. Our inaction can be a sin when our heart isn't the heart of God in us, the very image of God. When I see somebody come up and say, Brian, are you pro-life? It is such a huge issue to me. It is not a single issue of abortion, though that is big. I do not believe you are pro-life unless you're giving life. Anybody can carry a banner. Anybody can shout a slogan. But Christians, we are called to give life. That is pro-life. And you can see how big pro-life is. How much power we have to give life through God through us. And we choose to do nothing. We take away life. the last person, the lowest class, stopped and gave this near-death man life. He obeyed the sixth commandment. He gave life. Let me take you back to Luke 10 to finish the story of the Good Samaritan, starting in verse 36. Now, Jesus asked, which of these three people that passed by would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, 
the one that showed him mercy? And Jesus says, yeah. Yeah. Now go and do the same. This word mercy is so important. Mercy is to give somebody empathy, compassion, make a difference whether they deserve it or not. And it's compelled by the same God through Jesus who gave us mercy whether we deserved it or not. Mercy sees, you want to write two things down that will fire your jets all week long this week. What, mercy sees these two things. Mercy first sees the image of God in somebody else. Then mercy sees their potential in the image of God. I want to repeat that. Mercy sees first, not somebody's sin, not somebody's lifestyle, not, no, whatever it is. Mercy sees the image of God in every person. And mercy also sees their potential. You may not agree where they're at, what they're going through, but remember where you were at and what you went through and what God did in your life. Mercy sees the potential. Those two things move us to act. The sixth commandment commands us to give life at every opportunity. When we give life, you know what we do? We amplify the image of God in them. Can you see that? When we interact and give life, we actually amplify, we grow the image of God in them. And what does it do to us? It actually amplifies the image of God in us when we act like that. This is so beautiful. So you're saying, hold on a second, Brian. I I'm confused. You said we can give life, but you just said only God has the authority of creation, redemption, and restoration. Only he has the authority over life, and you're absolutely right, but he is a very God that dwells in each one of us and gives life through us. Only God has the authority, and he loves his creation, and he loves to work through his creation through the power of the Holy Spirit to give life through us. Every day, ladies and gentlemen, we have this opportunity. So I'm going to ask you one thing so we all can grow and always, you know, we always say this place is more of a hospital than a clubhouse, church, but we're getting better every day. So I want you to think of somebody right now that you're angry with. Usually doesn't take much for us, does it? And there's good reason to be angry. I get it. You've been hurt cheated, whatever. Think of one person you're angry with today. And I want you to walk out of here and see them in the image of God. And I want you to ask God for the power to see their potential in the image of God. I shared with you the many faces of murder. Let me show you the many faces of a life giver. First, a life giver is somebody that visits the incarcerated. Our prison systems have more than quadrupled. It's a much bigger factor than that over the last 20 years. To be incarcerated is to lose your life. We have two men in this church, I know, that this is their gift. They go right into jail and they share about the hope of the one who created them, redeems them, restores them. 
Another face of a life giver is somebody who walks with an unwed expectant mother, never judging, encouraging. Share with them Psalm 139, the beauty of God's miracle. Another face of a life giver is somebody who comforts the terminally ill. Somebody who's in the last stages of somebody's life and walks with them, encourages them, tells them to finish well and hangs in there with them. Is there pain and suffering? You bet. Is it a tough place to be? You bet. Could it be beautiful? You bet. Another face of a life giver is somebody who grabs the rope of someone who's at the end of it. Suicide is so common. Suicidal ideation, just the thought of it, so common. It happens here in this community every day in multiple ways. When you see somebody starting to wonder, is it worth it? They are at the end of the rope. Grab that rope. Grab that rope. They're missing hope. And in you, you have the image of the hope. The next way we give life is we never react in anger on social media. Be careful with social media. It can be a great tool for giving life. It is a horrible tool of stealing life. Don't ever act in anger on social media. And the last one, sit on the porch of somebody who's oppressed. Racial tension is at an all new high. I hear a hundred arguments of CRT and all these other things, and my first question is whose porch are you sitting on who's getting hurt, feeling squashed, and knowing their story? If all we do is spend our time and effort in squashing all these things and you're, and you're not hearing the voice, sit on the porch of somebody who's devalued and just wants to have life and hear their story. We all can do this. Some of us are gifted better in some areas, but we all can do this. This list can go on forever and ever. Last sermon note together, ladies and gentlemen, Christians value all life because of his image. That's the summary here of the sixth commandment. We value all life because all life has God's image. So I want you to look at your neighbor again. Look at your neighbor, go ahead, it's safe. Look at your neighbor. They are the image of God. Would you please applaud? <laughs> Those online applaud. There's nothing more beautiful than that person right next to you and the image they carry. But when we walk out of these doors today, every person we encounter is created in the image of God. Every person. Don't be told the lie of the most evil whatever person or, or person that's just so stuck in sin that they don't carry that. It's a lie. They are to be valued. Love our neighbor today. All of them. Give them life because of their image and their potential. Give me a big amen. Amen. Whew. It was fun writing this one. I just know as a church that we can make huge change in the world that needs the love of Christ. 
Offering is a time where we worship and give back. One way is financial gifts. This church is on mission all the time. And there's a finance to fuel that mission. When you leave today, there's boxes by the door. There's a box up there. Feel free to drop your offering. If you want to say, God, I trust you, sign up for automatic and just automatically have it taken out and give him first. That's trust. Especially in the summer where a lot of people are traveling. But offering is also a time that we look at God's word and we look at what is he asking of me. To our guests too, that connect card, it's, I call it paper gold. We would love to just have a name and reach out to you on Monday morning and see what can we share about Westview and how can we help you search for a home. You can drop those in those baskets or you can hit our welcome center outside of here. But please do that before you leave. We would love to connect with you. Would you pray with me? Let's give God our best in offering. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that this thou shall not kill is so much bigger than that. Father, thank you for Jesus' words that show how it really starts with anger. How important is the image of God and not only all of us here in the church, but all of us and those who don't even know you and don't even know your son. So Father, here's a really hard offering, probably the best offering I could ever give today for one of us here or all of us here. Who am I angry with? Who am I angry with? Father, break our heart because it takes away their life and it diminishes your image and takes away my life. Father, help me. And only, we only can do this in the power of your spirit to help they see them in your image first, to shut out all the other garbage and just see them in your image first. And then realize their potential. Father, the Bible's full of people that you got to hold their heart and took them from a very dark place and made them amazing people. Father, you can give life through us like that. But get rid of our anger. It's a foothold. Father, bless each person here as we go out today to every person we encounter. It's a new exercise for us. We can see your image there and we're in our heart just applauding. We're applauding how beautiful your creation is, even if they're broken and lost. And Father, through your spirit, empower us to give life. There is no third space, church. Let's all go out and give life. Father, bless each soul here as they go out this week into hard places. And they give the life that we know, the fullness of life through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.